This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Walt, and I am joined by the bass slaying man himself, Chase from Central Florida. Dude, 82 days. No, actually, as the let me rephrase that. 80 days until Georgia's deer season pops off and it's time to start really thinking about whitetails. Yeah, it's it's getting there. It is it's I don't think it's slowly creeping up on us anymore uh, no. <laughs> at this point. I keep thinking I was like, "Whoa, this is actually getting a lot closer uh than yeah. I even thought it was. Uh, I've been it's the excitement's coming uh, my buddies have started yeah. talking about uh hunting some here and there and uh just discussions on what we're going to do this season so that's always fun i i just got my uh, tethered phantom and i was playing out in the yard with it earlier so uh i'll hoping i can get some information and get it out to the listeners and i think we're going to do a video on it and we've got a giveaway on the the tethered phantom as well so i think all that's gonna it's gonna kind of come to a head here soon man look at you just like that y'all a golf clap for chase's uh seamless segue between pieces (laughs) there man he's killing it today you you ate your weight your wheaties i did man man, i did I did. <laughs> oh man, yeah, dude. We are gonna do a video on it. I'm excited about that. We are giving one away. Uh, and you know what? Since we're on this topic, why don't we thank the people who got ten additional entries for the tethered phantom that we're giving away? Now, before I say what that is, Patreon is how you support this show. You, the listener, can support the show. I should say, and. That money goes right into operating costs. It goes into travel costs. It goes into the the hosting fees, all of that stuff. And one of the ways that we say thank you is through quarterly giveaways. And this quarter, we're giving away, as Chase said, the Phantom. And there's two ways to enter. You can go to our Facebook or Instagram posts and find the post where we're doing the giveaway. Tag a friend to get entered. But if you are a Patreon subscriber during this period, you get 10 additional entries. So we have got to announce six new Patreon subscribers. You ready for this, Chase? Let's do it. 
Everett Park, Tyler Jackson, Tony Smith, Brian Stanton, Kevin Prosser, and Chris Massery. McCary. McCary, maybe. Uh, for, for all of you, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, we have got a bunch of stickers. We've got 50 stickers on the way to send out to you guys to say thanks. They look really cool. I got the proof yesterday. They should be here uh, Thursday, and then I'll start sending those out. And, uh, yeah, man, I, dude, it is gear season. It is, it, is, it is tactics and gear season, and that's what this episode is about is silencing your gear. Yeah, it is. It was uh, it was a great episode. It kind of reiterated to me that hey, I need to be paying more attention to sound as a whole. Yeah. I think a lot of times we get kind of some tunnel vision on wind and our scent. Like scent, scent, scent kind of gets hammered so much. But the sound aspect, uh, w- another one of their key senses that a deer has doesn't really get hit as hard. And I think that'll come through on this episode on how important it is to pay attention to the noises you're making in the woods. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things we think about every avenue of ways that we can be a better hunter. We shoot all year long, you know, we tune our arrows. I mean, God, guys, if you think about everything that we do to get in position to kill a big whitetail, the idea that you could ruin that by clanking two things together and it's not a far cry for me to say that this is perhaps the most underappreciated discussion piece in whitetail hunting right now. I mean, everyone just assumes that noise is detrimental, but I think after listening to this episode, they're going to realize that it is perhaps the most important thing when finalizing your setup is getting it as quiet as possible. Yeah, it is. And I don't think it takes that much time to go in and make sure that your gear is quiet or silent it's it's not something that's going to take somebody a lot of time to go in and do that on this podcast you'll find out about a product that can help you with that i think that's a good stopping point so why don't we let everybody listen to adam from sound barrier hunting about why and how to silence your hunting gear let's do it all right we have got a guest that uh, is is Tuning in all the way from the great white north, the the land of milk and honey, big bucks around every corner, Adam Lewis. Dude, thank you for taking time out your evening to talk with us. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, not sure about what you just said, but uh, (laughs) we have some deer up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least you get more meat off of your deer. You might not get as much, you know, antler growth as you want, but I bet you a field-dressed deer up there is probably still twice as big as the ones I shoot down here. Yeah, I probably don't sweat as much up here. So. <laughs> oh, man. So tonight's going to be a really fun episode uh, for a variety of reasons. One, I always love talking to people who are dedicated to a component of their craft. You know, you, you've got guys that are trail camera experts and, 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 and gear layering experts. You've got all these guys who, who really have honed in on certain things. And tonight we're going to be talking about sound, which is kind of weird because – you know, we talked, you know, offline before we started this, everybody acknowledges that sound while deer hunting is important, but we don't do a good enough t- job talking about it. If you ask me, and this is actually something that I kind of slept on, uh, until this year myself. I mean, I obviously try and be quiet, but I don't take it to the extreme that I think I really need to. But before we get to that, Adam, why don't you give everybody the elevator pitch? Who are you? Uh, what, what are your favorite pursuits and Kind of give everybody the 411. Sure. So I uh, grew up in Michigan here, which is a big hunting state. You know, everybody deer hunts, uh, at least on some level. And uh, a lot of deer, but also a lot of hunters. So 
it's a really high pressure hunting, um, you know, small woodlots and there's a bunch of guys in each woodlot type thing. So, uh, probably about 10 years ago and I'm, I'm 40 now. So I've been hunting 28 years, uh, probably about 10 years ago. I started hunting primarily public land and, uh, found out real quick that deer are super, super educated up here. They're, they're so pressured. And so every little thing matters when you're hunting them. And one of the things that really I figured out was noise was a big issue uh, with getting encounters versus not. You know, that was kind of one of the the deciding factors. So kind of got into that, long story short. Um, did a lot of research with that. Did some research uh, through the University of Toledo on uh, hunter noises and how loud they are and how far they will carry um and from that started a company called sound barrier to try to help with that issue for hunters uh based on just stuff you know i wanted to help myself and uh eliminate that problem um and so i kind of snowballed from there with uh, that company and then a bunch of articles also that are written on that um to just try to solve that problem you know the noise problem for hunters that like you said, most hunters know, okay, yeah, obviously deer can hear and uh, they probably hear pretty well, but most hunters don't know much about it or focus on it, which is a really key um, mistake because it's one of the three senses, you know, that they have to, to detect us. So um, that's kind of what I want to focus on and uh, it's helped me out quite a bit, just learning about it and trying to apply that you know, to the hunting scenario. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, it sounds, I'm, I'm sure when we, we made that intro, it kind of sounded funny to people that were talking about sound because it's such a, a, a no brainer, but you know, I poured over your website and you've got a lot of this information up there and I encourage people to go, go take a look at it. Um, before we kind of talk about, you know, how a deer reacts to sound, can you kind of break down why sound is such a critical asset, like the ability to detect, uh, sound is something a deer is so good at? Deer can hear really well in three different ways. And I'll kind of compare it to uh, humans and how we hear, because that's the easiest thing to do. Um, but there's only really one way that they're similar to humans, and that would be uh, the loudness, you know, what they perceive as loudness like we do. So they can't hear any, you know, they can't hear like a, a mouse at, a mile away you know mm-hmm. uh loud to them is loud to us soft to them is soft to us uh, but there's three big ways that they hear much better that uh, we need to you know really consider when we're we're thinking about all aspects of hunting uh, and especially with bow hunting and like i said i do a lot of public land hunting where i'm getting in really close to where these deer are you know and bed bed area hunting and stuff and this stuff is really magnified when you get in those close ranges. So uh, loudness is about the same for them. Uh, but the first thing that's really different is the most obvious one, which is their outer ear called the pinna. Um, some people, pinna or pinna, but that's the big outer ear, right? Mm. And deer can move it. You know, obviously we can't move our ears. Uh, it's a very big funnel, basically. Uh, they can rotate it in any direction. They can hone in on where noises come from. Um, and that's a huge advantage uh, to 
not only hearing sounds and in slight sounds, you know, that are funnel those into their eardrum, but also pinpointing where they come from. Um, and so that's, that's a huge, huge benefit. Uh, and we've probably all seen deer, you know, around hunting, they can pick up sounds that they hear loudness about the same, but they can pick up sounds that we don't a lot easier. And we've probably all seen, you know, been hunting and seen deer just like whip their heads around and start looking off a certain direction and we don't hear anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, something comes into view that we didn't hear and we finally hear maybe it's another deer or maybe it's a hunter or something like that. But that's one, one huge benefit to, the deer have over us is that outer ear and kind of a sidebar off that is I wrote a whole article on this in North American whitetail about the link, the link between hearing and sight and how uh, noises and the hearing is a trigger sense for the eyes. The eyes, you know, scan well, it's probably the least effective sense for deer they can see, you know, about 300 degrees or so uh, horizontally, but their trigger for their eyes is them hearing something. Without that, they don't really know where to look or what to look for, you know, and they aren't really alerted to things. And so noise becomes a real big issue just in that sense that they can hone in on and then they can scrutinize it with their eyes. So that's a huge advantage they have. So... Do they hear the same, like, oh, man, this is where you come in because you're going to correct me after this. Do they hear the same range of noises? No, range is totally different. I'll get okay. to that. That's like, the, that's like the second part. Okay. The second thing. But it's more like the loudness or it's measured in sound pressure or decibels, right? Right. They hear that about the same. So if we hear like this, you know, kind of soft noise in the woods, it would – it would be soft to them as well. Okay. Um, it's not like they have magnified hearing, you know. Gotcha. Um, their outer ear, though, just helps them detect it and funnel it better than ours do. Right. So it's kind of like whenever we would, like, stick our hand up behind our ear and, like, try to make a funnel ourselves, the deer just already has that built-in mechanism for them to be able to do that. And obviously they can rotate them independently and just, like, like radar they can focus in on where did that come from and then instantly know where that noise came from where us it's sometimes a little harder to figure out that makes sense. oh yeah there's been a bunch of sounds in the woods where i'm just like where did that come from like either a gunshot or anything and you're just i'm like i think it came from over there and then you got somebody standing beside you i was like i think it came from (laughs) the exact opposite side so i mean that that i could see how that would be an advantage for a deer like you said that they can just point that ear in whatever direction and then bam they probably and i know they have it locked on because you got to think about when people are out in the woods and a lot of you, you see this all the time where somebody does like a rattling sequence or a grunt and the deer comes to basically the tree yeah. that they're in. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that has to be all a part of that, right? Yeah. And that, I mean, from hundreds of yards away, right? They, they, right. the exact tree you're in. Yeah. So that, that's a huge thing uh, right there. The second thing you just brought up is what I call the sweet spot, but that's, yeah, that's the range of the here in, which is much different. I'm citing the university of Toledo, deer uh, study here but deer can hear from about 200 to 64,000 hertz that's the frequency range that they can hear which is really broad uh to 
compare that to human, we can hear from about uh, 20 to 20,000. And probably 16,000, most of us can't hear much above that. So wow. it's about a third of what a deer's range is. Um, and also where they hear best is different than humans. We hear between two and 4,000 hertz. Uh, that's like speech level, you know, which makes sense that we hear best there. Deer hear best around 8,000 hertz. So it's, you know, similar, but it's a little bit shifted higher. And the interesting thing is that when I compared uh, all these test noises that I did, we did about 30 different test noises like crunching leaves, breaking twigs, you know, clanging metal like your tree stand, your climbing sticks, all this stuff. We did about 30 different hunter noise tests. We had a, a frequency analysis of that. And the interesting thing is a lot of those uh, natural woods sounds, you know, that we make, that a predator would make, they fall within that where deer hear the best. So eight to 10,000 hertz or so, they kind of peak in that general area. So they not only hear much wider frequency range, they hear best in the noises that we would make that would, you know, tip them off. Oh, God, that that's, that's terrible. Well, it's, it's terrible for hunters. It's just not terrible for the deer. <laughs> yeah. That's how they've yeah. been able yeah, to make just, it this long. It's like every – yeah. not only can they pinpoint – I mean, because I had that happen with a deer last year. I, I did a, a, a like a doe in heat, and a doe came from clear 250 yards away to the base of my tree. It's on the YouTube channel. And it blew my mind that she was able to pinpoint me. But, I mean, she you know ears were up, and she was coming right to me the whole time. Um, but that also means that every time I've been walking through the woods and I thought, you know, dang, I did a pretty good job of sneaking in here. I probably didn't do near as good a job as I thought. Yeah. And some of those this is on our website, we've got some of them listed, but for example, and it really depends on the, where you're at and the environmental conditions, but if it's like really calm out, you know, and the leaves are really crunchy and you're walking through leaves and crunching them pretty good, that can travel four or 500 yards. Um, so (laughs) Mm. we've heard that before too, if a deer's coming and we can hear it like really far away, if the conditions are right. So, uh, yeah, it, it definitely travels and they, they're hearing it. Um, it's just interesting that, yeah, it falls right where they're best suited to hear it. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it, it, it matters, right. It matters this idea of paying attention to the noises we make and, we can give you that in a minute, but yeah, that's the second area, you know, that they hear better than humans. And the third one I kind of alluded to there is this idea that they can hear much higher than we can. So they have ultrasonic hearing. So they can, where ours cuts off at 16 to 20,000 hertz, that's the highest pitch we can hear. Theirs keeps going to 64,000. And when you look at these noises we make, it, it isn't that, you know, for example, um, the one I have here is goldenrod. So we, we tested goldenrod breaking, like you're walking through goldenrod field or something, and it's kind of uh, dry and crunchy, you know. The frequency range goes from, you know, down toward the bottom of their range, 200, and it goes through what we hear, and it still is high up through about 60,000 hertz. So they're hearing, there's all this noise made, of these different frequencies that we don't even hear, but they can hear it. 
Hmm. So they're hearing a much broader range than we are. And a lot of these high frequency noises is what deer use to pinpoint the sources and then look, you know, scrutinize with their eyes. Those high frequency ones um, just are, are better to do that with. When you look at the science of how their, their ears are on their head, you know, and the distance between their ears, it's the higher frequency ones that help them pinpoint. So uh, those three things uh, are huge advantages they have. You know, we make noise that or frequencies of noises that we don't even hear that they can hear. So, yeah, it, it makes it tough. Yeah, and, and it also makes me – it kind of it kind of maybe explains why on windy days deer – you know, this is totally unrelated perhaps, but – why deer act as jumpy as they are because they're hearing a lot more noise than we are. I wonder if that's overwhelming to them. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely a good theory. Yeah. No, we'll, 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 we'll follow that along in the BS theory catalog until proven, <laughs> yeah. until proven otherwise. Them, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the, one of the things that I've always kind of found like, weird or whatnot is like say if we're we're walking through the woods and like say we alert deer we don't see them obviously they're probably running off or whatever they're sneaking out but then there'll be these times where a deer will be out in front of you and then like say it'll it'll pick its head up and it'll just start looking into the woods and it'll do Mm -hmm. that for a while i mean minutes could pass and then finally all of a sudden another deer steps out and like i said we can't we never heard that deer. I mean, they come in all stealthy-like, but it seems like they heard that uh, other deer f- from a long ways off. Or maybe they picked up the scent or whatever. Not. I mean, h- how low is that? Like a deer walking through the woods. Like if it's crunching through leaves, let's say, there's it's obviously making frequencies that you'd be able to hear. Um, and ones that go up and beyond that, which would be in the ultrasonic. So where they're exactly keying in on that, you know, that that's that 8,000 where they hear best um and then above that that helps them pinpoint it so it's really all these things i think going together the they're hearing that frequency range better than we are they have the you know outer ear that can really funnel that to their hearing or their eardrum and then obviously the ultrasonic the stuff we can't hear that helps them pinpoint that and yeah hear it uh, or detect it before we we definitely can. Right. And how how did they, I guess they've just developed it over time, just uh, associate danger to that? Because I'm sure there's got to be something in there where they're, all of a sudden yeah. there's a noise that, okay, that's danger, I need to get out of here. Or, oh, that's just a normal noise that I hear all the time. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Um, I know, obviously, in the woods there's natural sounds that they are used to. Right, right. alert them and then there's unnatural ones that well you know what is that and is yeah it's like the cadence of a walk you know does that sure does that set them off um obviously unnatural noises like metal or plastic things like that um i think would cause more alert for oh, sure oh yeah Definitely metal. <laughs> I've noticed that way too many times. I think there was this one time I was watching, uh, there was this buck chasing this doe and I could hear him for a little bit, but didn't have a clear shot or anything yet. And then she finally runs out into the open and then I'm trying to get adjusted for a shot. I was, I was hunting with a gun and I had a shooting stick like on this tripod stand 
and I moved the stick a little bit and kind of clanked the metal, a little bit of metal that was on the bottom. And I mean, the buck was like, I mean, he was hauling behind her. And then when he heard that noise, he instantly like locked up, like locked the brakes up and was like, uh, no, I'm not going out in the, in the open. Just by hearing that, just that little bit of noise, he locks up and then completely turns around. And he was, and this was a rutted buck, like chasing a doe around. So I was like, man, it's crazy how they just, they can key in on that specific noise and go, nope, that's danger. I'm not willing to put my life at risk for that little bitty noise and then just turn around and, and go away. But I actually ended up shooting him later because he actually circled back around and tried to cut uh, a different way. But I always thought that was crazy on how they're like, that's just, that's, that's a dangerous noise. Cause I'm just assuming it's just not natural in the woods. That's not a natural noise that they hear all the time. Right. Yeah, some sort of alarm goes off, and this is kind of interesting, kind of a side story, but uh, kind of, it was kind of eye-opener for me uh, when this happened to me. So, maybe about eight years ago or so, I was, I hunt in Michigan, and I hunt in Ohio, and uh, I was down in Ohio, and it was one of those days that was a little bit windy and a little bit rainy, but not real bad. And I was kind of sneaking up this hill in the woods to get, go up to this, toward this ridge top where uh, it seems good sign and where deer kind of bedded on the top of this ridge where it got thick. And I, I snuck up in there. I had a climber. And I snuck in. I climbed up a tree about 25 feet. And I looked down, and like 35 yards away, there were two doe bedded down just sitting there look in my direction chewing their cud and i didn't see them the whole time but i know they were there and it was it was super <laughs> odd to me because i was in plain view while i walked in and climbed up the tree uh but i realized that they didn't hear me there was enough wind and you know kind of wet conditions they could not hear me and therefore the little the movement that i was making it didn't set off a trigger for them to really like look at me there was enough you know like motion with the wind you know and i must have kind of blended in with that enough but they didn't hear anything and therefore that did not trip their eyesight so to say you know it did not trigger mm -hmm. it and that was a huge eye-opener for me just about yeah what noises do for deer it's kind of like again this trigger that says pay attention you know something's you better check that out with your eyeballs or something like that. Um, I've had other circumstances where, you know, I've walked one time I was in a field or walked into this field. I was scouting. I had like blue jeans on and a camo top. And there was this buck, smaller buck out in this field. And I was in the middle of the field. He was in the middle of the field. And so I just stopped. And there was like a hundred yards between us. And I was just sticking out like a sore thumb, but, he just kept coming right toward me, and I just stood there, and obviously couldn't hear me, right? He could clearly see me, but without something to jar his nervous system, like a sound, he almost walked right up on me until I started, you know, moving around like crazy, waving my arms, and he finally, you know, finally saw me. So that was just a big aha moment for me that you know, wow you know sound is a big deal to deer you know that we we really need to pay attention to 
Right. And I think there are some sounds that maybe we could try to mimic as well. Maybe like when we're getting up, because I know I've had this happen with like climbers and stuff where you're going up in a climber, you're rubbing up on the tree and then a deer comes to investigate what was making that noise. It didn't alert them to leave. It it alerted them enough, like a curiosity noise. Uh, But who knows, maybe it sounded like another buck rubbing on a tree. Because I know this past uh, season, I was sitting there, I was watching this little buck and uh, he was in front of me and there was this little sapling. And then all of a sudden he just like starts tickling his antlers on this little sapling, kind of rubbing it a little bit. And it was, it was during the rut time. And I watched this buck come from a couple of hundred yards away. And it was one of those, like he was on uh, a mission to see what was making that noise came in with his neck uh, back and his, his hair was all puffed out and everything looking to fight. And then when he finally got there and saw what was there, then he just like looked at it. The the little buck actually ended up like trying to lick him like, Hey man, I don't want to fight. I'm just over here doing my thing. I'm not, I'm not ready to fight you or anything. Uh, and he, he was a buck that he needed to make it another year. But, uh, I was just like, and there was thick woods there. It was kind of windy. There was, it was thick woods, uh, where he ended up coming from. But I was like, how did he hear that? Cause I mean, I'm right on top of it, like 10 yards away and I could barely hear him making a noise with his antlers rubbing up against that little, uh, sapling. So I was just like, wow, they've definitely got some, there's definitely something going on there with their hearing. That's just way above a level that I, I understand. Right. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. Chase, I had one that kind of borders the two of those, what you just said. When I was hunting private land, I want to put that disclosure on there because I'm sure the circumstances are different on heavily pressured public land. This wasn't. Um, I was walking in with a light rain, which I think probably uh, – actually, uh, does that register similarly to leaves, like wind and whatnot, do you think? As far as like what they're hearing or like, – yeah, does it does it sound the same as you know me walking through the woods? Does it does it have that masking property? Yeah, well, you think? I think yeah, rain is a great masker as far as I mean. Okay. It's, obviously, the leaves aren't crunchy, and that noise sure. is going to mask to a certain extent noises you make. Yeah. 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 So I'm walking to the stand, and I had my little super dim red light on, and I caught uh, some uh, some eyes off in the corner, and I was only about. I don't know, 30 yards from my tree stand, but I was moving in real, real slow. And I managed to get to the tree, climb up the tree and come sunlight. I could see those two deer still bedded over there, chewing their cud. And about, I don't know, an hour or so goes by, the sun really starts to come up. And I realize I'm completely silhouetted on this tree because of the way the sunlight was coming through. And it was probably going to stay that way for a minute. So I actually took my climber and like real carefully climbed up the tree a little further and both of those deer, but this time the rain had quit and I was on a pine tree. Both of those deer heard that, that noise and came walking down the path and then looked up the tree. So it, it, it was a real interesting curiosity, but it was interesting to me that they were able to, you know, not only isolate that, but also that, that it didn't like initially have that revolting uh, component to it because I'd be willing to bet Chase along your theory of, of them hearing metal. I think it's probably like a, what the heck is that factor? You know, like when they hear it, they don't necessarily have to know it's danger. It can just be like, that, that was really disconcerting. I, I doesn't belong in this environment. And it just creates an uneasy feeling. 
Probably. I mean, I've had, I've, I've actually been on public and had deer come straight to the tree that I got up in my climber. Like it was, I got up in the climber and it's about the second I'm going to sit down I look down and there's a deer. I've had does and stuff like literally on the tree that I was going up in the climber. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely curious. Um, and you know, those noises not being real loud, um, obviously I'm still hearing them, but those are more natural sounds. It's like a, is that a raccoon going up a tree? Is that a squirrel? Sure. That? Those types of things. Um, they definitely know where they're at. They just might not know what they are. Right. Right. Well, it, you may have touched on this. I'm still digesting like all the different scenarios that I can like digesting what you said and applying it to scenarios I can think of. Where does metal fall on this, on this spectrum? Metal is the worst. Um, <laughs> If you look at the actual spectrum and of our uh, homepage at the bottom, we have kind of a, a chart that goes through that. Um, but metal being unnatural, you know, that's that's probably not a curiosity sound they're going to come check out. Uh, like you were saying with that example of the, the shooting stick or whatever, making a noise and just them bolting. Uh, that's kind of the typical reaction, just super unnatural noise you know and it's also something that sure. we tested like uh hollow climbing sticks you know if they cling against each other camera arm which is more steel at least the one we tested tree steps stuff like that some of that can travel over half a mile in the right conditions uh so it's wow. super unnatural it can travel a long ways you know and so that's you know, that, that's like death knell. That's like the worst possible noise to make, I guess. But <laughs> Right. Yeah, because that deer was probably 100 yards away. <laughs> so, and it wasn't like a, a like a, just a hard, it was just a, a quick little metallic sound. But I'm like, I mean, it, it like I said, it stopped him dead in his tracks. And he was 100 yards away whenever uh, I made that noise. Yeah, it, it metal, metal's a no-no. <laughs> it seems like yeah. it's a big no-no. And then after that, I went and put some carpet <laughs> down in the bottom of that. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, this ain't happening. <laughs> this ain't happening again. Man, I'm looking at this chart. I mean, basically what I hear you saying and what I see this chart saying is certain noises not only can ruin it, uh, not could they ruin a hunt. I mean, realistically, you, you more or less could blow an area out uh, with, with the wrong noise. Yeah, I mean – you know, depending on where you hunt, I know some areas of the country, I've heard a lot of guys talk about this, or you're more forgiving than others, but uh, especially here in Michigan, what i found, and I think it's primarily true for deer in general, that you just don't get a lot of chances at, especially mature bucks. And if you're in there tight, you know, say you go into bedding or something, and you make a noise that they can associate with something, maybe you you know, maybe you can get away with a little bit of that bark noise with your climber or something. Uh, but if you make a noise like some metal clanging or whatever, it, it's not an issue of, oh, I didn't make 10 of them. But, you know, if you make one of those, you know, a smart deer uh, that's, you know, not a year and a half old, he's not going to come out that way. I, I've, I've had too many circumstances and failures of my own. And that's, you know, kind of what led to all this to know that, you know, you, you put in all this effort, you get in this spot and then you make 
your stand makes a noise or you screw up and make a noise and then it's over. Like you don't see anything. You wonder what, why, you know, this area that looks so good, you're just not seeing anything. And yeah, you can totally ruin a, a hunt or a spot just by an errant noise, you know, just one little mistake. Um, cause if, if they don't, if they have a question about it, you know, they're not going to just be dumb and walk, walk under your stand type thing. So I think a lot of times we, we fool ourselves to think that, Oh, you know, I can get away with this or that. And, uh, that's really not the case. Right. right. Mm. I think it would be beneficial is if you have a buddy that isn't worried about sound is that you get on the uh, downwind side of him and let him come in and set up. And then you just set up and watch the deer funnel your direction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just like hey man i love hunting with you i'll have the best of luck whenever you're in the woods <laughs> you're hunting your buddies doing a deer drive <laughs> hey man a lot of guys i mean i hear that happening all the time where guy and they're they're doing it with more than just noises they're doing it like wind bumping and things yeah, that you see right, right. it's just a, it's just another strategy to try man these a lot of these deer man they're hard to kill and it sounds like if you go in and you're making these noises that uh, we had, who was it? David Ebright on the show. And he made a yep. noise and he just quit hunting that day. Like it, the second he made that he noise, did. he just said, bump it. I'm done. I'm not even going to hunt today and left. So yeah, <laughs> I've had hunts like that where you, you go in and you, you have a noisy setup and then it's just a wasted hunt. And I've sat through those hunts where I've been like, this is futile but you sit it out anyways. And then at the end of, you know, two or three hours, you're like, yeah, that was, that was futile. That was, that was a waste. Um, and so I guess right. you, get, you get enough of those that it really, uh, trains you to really, really pay attention to, you know, uh, stop proving your gear for one thing. And then just being super cautious as you enter and exit and every step along the way. Yeah. I think one of the only times that you could probably get away with some noise is probably during the rut when deer are traveling so yeah. far and, and moving. I mean, you could have a deer that was a mile away when you set up that morning that that could come strolling through um, hours later. But if you're trying to hunt beds, buck beds, and trying to get real close to the bedroom and all that stuff, then I think everything comes into play where your, your scent, the noise you're making – uh, all of that, I think, uh, is just a huge factor in being able to actually lay eyes on that deer. Yeah, and you don't want to count on that either. You don't want to hunt and say, well, you know, I'm going to count on this buck coming from a mile away. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, nobody would do that. But, yeah, that's, <laughs> we could get lucky sometimes, you know, um, because of that type of thing. Everybody probably has. It's hunted long enough, but. Um, yeah, it's definitely something to pay attention to, uh, because the rut's really the only time that that's probably going to happen. Right. And that's not a very long time. It's like two weeks or for the most part, no. a week, two weeks <laughs> of time, uh, in Florida, yeah. maybe a little bit longer, depending on where you're hunting at. But, uh, cause our rut's so widespread, but when, when is your rut down there? Uh, well, we have we have a map. It's funny if you go look at the Florida rut map. It is like all over. It's like county by county. Like it's not even 
it's not even I'm in my area uh, they seem to rut more towards the end of October ish area but where Walter's at it could be like late January early January through February really where he's at yeah up in the in the panhandle so and then down in South yeah. Florida it's like July August like literally the ruts fix and start kicking off in South Florida in about a month really yeah yep yeah yeah it it's I can hunt the rut here um, from about October 15th and if I wanted to drive a, a little bit further west, October fifteenth to about February, early February. Wow. Um, I actually, I actually had a doe. Oh, Chase, hold me to this. Make sure I'm not exaggerating. Didn't I send you a video or tell you that I got a video of a doe being bred behind the house, like February fourteenth last year? Right. Yeah. Yeah. In Florida, it's just it's all they're they're it's, it's, they're it's, already hard horned in South Florida. That's if yeah. you, if you want to talk about that, like they're already hard horned down there. <laughs> And my bucks won't get hard horn till like around the first of se- like the end of August, first of September. And then where Walter's at, some of them they won't be hard horn till after like around October. Is Jerry? Yeah, early October. Yeah, yeah. it's Florida. It's, it's weird. It's a man. weird this state, place man. Is weird. It's wild. <laughs> I mean, not to get off track here, but that's kind of interesting. Um, I wonder if it's because you don't have really seasons, and it just messes up the cycle. I mean, it's all based on eye. It's all based on, you know, the amount of of light that hits the eye. I think what it really stems from uh, is, you know, when during the 20th century, when we basically annihilated deer, um, you know, we had to restock deer. And I think that, uh, you know, my area got four different states worth of deer. And I think anytime you take a native population and you start to, you know, cross it, even though they're not that big of a difference between them, um, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it. And also, if you go from where I am to the, to the tip of Florida, you're a heck of a lot closer to the equator. I mean, you're you're talking like 10 hours worth of driving. So, you know, your sunlight, when, when, the, when the, amount of, the correct amount of sunlight to trigger the rut is, is just different down there, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's but, bizarre. And who knows? I know, I know some ruts are, are affected by flooding and things like that. From, from what sure, I've heard, sure. is uh, deer like during, I guess, in the past where the areas have generally flooded certain times to where okay, the fa- the fawns have to be born at this time to avoid that flood period to sure. be able to survive. So in yeah. South Florida, that could be a major factor. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's a weird place. Yeah, um, so. Before I start thinking about the applications of what we've talked about, do you have another like evolution of thought to to what we've been discussing? No, I, I think we've covered it pretty well. Just the idea that you know we obviously make noise. That's one of three major senses that deer use to stay alive, right, and keep us from success. Sure. And it's something that a lot of guys uh, don't think about that we all really need to think about um, a lot and really plan around. Because uh, it doesn't matter if they catch a whiff of you or if they hear one thing or see you, you know, they're they're going to be gone. So, so my thinking is the application of 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 uh, a product to mitigate this because nothing that we buy is silent unless you're. Uh, in fact, the only piece of gear I know that's completely silent is that that Sitka bag that has. Nothing but burlap. I mean, it's just like <laughs> there's no buckles, there's no zippers, nothing. Um, this seems like something that 
as a saddle hunter or as a run and gun hunter where you're moving and you don't have fixed sets. I think you wrote a, a, a blog piece on this. The run and gun hunter is at a particular disadvantage when it comes to mitigating sound versus a, a still hunter. You want to kind of maybe chat a little bit about that and explain? Sure, yeah. I mean, being really close, right, it just magnifies every little mistake you make, right? Um, so one of the things that I developed here, uh, which is what Soundberry is about, is a product called Buck Bumper that you can add to your gear to silence it. So it's this uh, self-adhesive wrap. You can wrap your sticks. You can wrap your parts of your stand you know, you can, there's a thicker version you can put at contact points, but it's just super important. Any of those things that you can make contact with, you can make, you know, those vibrations that translate to sound, uh, that you eliminate that um, of the gear that you have. And so that's a really good way to do that. We've done a bunch of testing with it to compared to other products that are out there, like the moleskin stuff that, it just is more effective uh, because of what it's made out of to eliminate those clangs, those, you know, those hunt busters uh, for guys, whether you, you know, hunt just with a normal hang on stand or whatever, or you're, you know, a really intense running gunner, uh, you, you need that protection. You, you've got to eliminate that sound. So uh, that's one thing that I suggest and that I do with all my gear is just, cover everything that I do have so it can't you're going to clang you're going to bump something but you've got to protect yourself so when that happens it's not making noise so that's one huge thing uh the other thing I do and would recommend is just eliminating junk that you don't need there's a lot of stuff in our packs in our setups that if we're honest about it we probably don't need that is just another opportunity to make noise. Um, and if you can get away with without it, if you don't really need it, then just, I'd say, get rid of it, right? Um, the rest of the sure. stuff, soundproof it, right, if it's a necessity. But um, even things like on gear that aren't necessary, like I have a backpack that has these plastic buckles that, you know, I can strap it around my waist or I can do whatever. And I don't use those. So I'm just going to cut them off, right? They just find a way when I strap it to the stand or on my back, they just find a way to, to find something else to clang against, you know? So remove them, take them off. Um, another thing, you know, like guys that, that have saddles, you know, is going through that. And obviously you can't be cutting stuff off that if it's a safety, you know, thing. But so you got to soundproof it somehow. Even things like... Honestly, I hate when I'm hunting out of regular stands. Uh, I hate wearing harnesses because there's metal buckles and junk on them uh, that I always find a way to, you know, my bow hit it or something. Uh, so either I silence those or find a way to, you know, cover them up or something. Um, but those are two huge things is silencing the gear you got to take and eliminating stuff that you don't need. Right. You know, I, when I went out to Colorado, my uncle said people pack their insecurities. 
and I and I went through and I purged <laughs> my pack of all the different duplicates and all the different things yeah. I didn't need. And I, I'm sitting here now thinking, man, I bet you I can take that 10 pound uh, whitetail pack I've gotten <laughs> and probably get rid of a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, most of the time I won't. If depending on what how long the hunt's going to be for that day or whatever, I won't even carry anything in. <laughs> like I'm like, no, I'm not even right. carrying a backpack because I don't know how many times I've had my backpack like fall out of the tree onto the ground or just make noises or there's just stuff in there that's like loose in there that'll make a noise or, or whatnot so i'm just like nope i'm not even going to carry that in because i don't need it you don't i don't need all that stuff for this two-hour hunt that i'm going to do i don't need a backpack that's going to get me through like two weeks out in the wilderness or something with every little thing fire starter i mean all kinds of crazy stuff that are in the packs that you're just like why am i bringing two this? gallons of sweet yeah. tea yeah why am i bringing all this stuff for like a two-hour sit or something so yeah definitely uh makes sense and there are i mean there's probably some things that i could definitely use some of the sound barrier, some of your tape and things like that, um, that I, I just have been putting off because I'm like, well, I, I don't make it really any noises with those things, but then every now and then you'll make that noise and you're like, man, why didn't I go ahead and soundproof that stuff? Cause then whenever you're, cause I think it's kind of, it's a confidence thing too, because when you're going in and you're super quiet, then your confidence is sky high. But then like I said, when you make that one little metal noise or whatever else, then it just kind of starts putting a damper on the entire hunt so if for anything just do it for confidence sure yeah right and you know like i said it's you can be as careful as possible and that's part of it too you know i've I've got an article posted where i go through i think about seven seven things that you know you can do and part of it is you know just being real careful um being real mindful of everything you're doing but we're humans right we make mistakes we can't avoid it. And usually, you know, it's happening at the worst possible time uh, that something happens, right? So you minimize that as much as possible, but then at the end of the day, you know you're going to make a mistake at some point, and that's when something like this helps you. It just eliminates the chance to make a mistake um, that you'll regret, right? But uh, on a side note, um, when we're talking about the walking in the woods and being quiet and stuff, I, I, it's, it is so hard for me to be able to do that. Like I know people that'll get up and they'll get up like an extra two hours just to be able to walk. It, it takes them like almost two hours to walk into the woods, uh, to get to their stand. And I'm more like the guy is like beeline, <laughs> like straight. I mean, it, it's, it's almost painful for me to sit there. I, and I know it's probably beneficial, uh, to be able to do, to be able to do that. But it, it, it's almost one of those things where I'm just like, I just can't make myself do it. I just can't make myself do it to, to be able to uh, go in there. And it's not, I mean, I've had success, so, but I do feel like I try to, what I've done with that is I'll try to find better ways to get in than take that route where I know I can get in super quiet if that'll take me two right. hours, but I'll go, okay, well, if I access from this way, I can get in there faster and I try to like clear things out of the way and do things that'll be like, okay, I won't have to worry about that as well. So it's just, it's just one of those things where I'm, I just don't know if I'll ever be able to hunt a buck bed because of the amount of time it would take me to get to the tree. I'm that guy that gets up two hours early, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not just the noise component of it. It's also, uh, the, the, the heat, you know, I'm trying to move pretty slow where I'm going, but 
you know, my dad taught me two things about deer hunting that he was 100% right about. And one of those was, if, from the sounds of it, one of those is you want the, time, the woods to have time to rest from the noises you made. But also, Adam, I don't know if you've ever been told this before in your discussions about controlling sound. You've, you've, it's been brought up. But he swears to pick your foot straight up and put it straight down. The, the heel-to-toe gait that humans have just stands out. There's nothing in the woods besides maybe a possum that makes a noise, anything you know remotely close to that, and you don't want yourself to stand out. I'm not sure about that one. Um, it makes sense. Um, I do know that you know kind of what both of you are saying is true, and I think it depends on the scenario, like where you're hunting. Um, if you're... If you're getting in somewhere where the deer are going, it's like a, a transition area and you can get in there quickly before they're going to come through, then I think you can get in there walking quicker than if you are hunting and making your way in real close to a buck bed or something like that or bedding area. And in that case, going super slow would be really important. So I, I think sure. it is dependent on the situation and just knowing what that is. Um, I do know that going slow though, like when I, when I'm hunting in, you know, somewhere usually is somewhere pretty thick and I'm getting pretty close to deer. I always just go super slow, almost like I'm stalking because, you know, you kind of think of you stepping on leaves, for example, as like an impact, like leaves and twigs. So if you do it real, if you do Mm -hmm. it quickly, you've got all the, all the leaves crunching and all the, you know, potential twigs breaking at once and that's making a louder noise than if you like put your foot down slowly and it's doing one at a time almost. Uh, and all those are going to be smaller and it's going to not be as loud of a noise. So going super slow, like stalking your way in somewhere, if you can have the time to do that is always going to be quieter than, you know, running in there. Um, but you, right, you've right. got to figure out, one of the you know things is okay do i have enough time to do that and making sure you do but also you don't want to run into deer in the process you know unless you're get the jump on them so um, going slow definitely is a quieter approach right well how how do we sound like a squirrel like is there a way we can go fast and sound exactly (laughs) like a squirrel going through the woods because they the squirrels don't seem to bother them (laughs) yeah or chickadee or something (laughs) or an armadillo or something because they all make noises i mean it's just getting our noise to sound exactly like that going through the woods (laughs) yeah i've heard of guys that claim they can sound like a deer walking or something um because of their gait, you know, and that supposedly doesn't uh, trigger deer, you know, even though I think they would still look that way, which, which kind of defeats the purpose uh, there. But I don't know. I My philosophy, at least at the moment, is I just try not to let him hear me at all. And anti-gravitational boosters. He just floats into his spot and just, just that would be that would be ideal. That would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice what about these quiet cats and things like that are those really that big of an advantage um because i i mean what kind of noise are those putting off uh, in the woods 
because I know that I've like golf carts and things like that. Uh, and obviously they're a little bit bigger, but I've had instances where say you're waiting on a buddy or something to come pick you up in a golf cart from your stand and you have deer out in front of you and the deer, I've seen this happen where I'm looking at some does or whatnot. And then they all of a sudden pick their head up and run off. And then a little, just a little bit later up comes this golf cart over a hill that you finally start hearing <laughs> uh, from a ways away. That was an electric golf cart that they got alerted to. So are these quiet cats or electric carts or what whatnot? Are they really that big uh, uh, of a difference for people? I can't really speak to that because I've never used them. Um, I think just the very face value idea of, hey, if you're going to, use a gas powered four wheeler versus an electric, you know, it, well, it's quieter. Right. Right. Um, well, I don't, honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, if quiet cat wants to send me one, to, <laughs> uh, I guess I would, but I'm sure they're listening. And honestly, where, where, I, <laughs> yeah, where I hunt public, I couldn't use it anyways. Because right. just, they, they won't let sure. you ride down these trails, you know, with, uh, any any type of thing so i the only argument i've heard and i don't know if these people are sponsored or not so it's kind of hard to you know if it's true or not but is the idea of getting in somewhere quickly versus walking slowly you know over time you just get there quicker and quieter and it's less overall impact than if you're going in you know and making noise for half an hour versus five minutes you know Sure. I wonder if there's an argument to be made, though, that, you know, something that kind of sounds like it's walking towards you, you know, like a real slow heel, heel to toe. I wonder if, like, can you be quiet enough to where you don't sound like something coming? Or is it better just to make a, like, everything, even though it's louder, um, to make that sharp, quick, like, poop of your foot? And the deer's like, ah, I think I heard that, but they can't really focus in on it. I don't, maybe I'm like overthinking it, we, as all deer hunters do. But you know, <laughs> I just it, it makes me wonder because everybody's heard somebody like sneak into the cookie jar, and you hear the jar kind of gently open over a period of time. Whereas if they just whipped it open, would you notice it quite as quickly? I don't know. That's a good question. I for me, you know, just off the top of my head, I would say it's more of an issue of. Not if they hear it, but how far it'll travel. You know, if, oh, that's if a good I point hear, too. you know, the sharp foot down, let's say that travels 80 yards, and the slow foot down travels 50 yards, you know, it depends on where DR within that radius. If they're within 20 yards, they're going to hear either. If they're at, you know, somewhere in between those two, they would hear the one but not the other. So that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah. I think I think the important part here is don't make certain noises and mitigate any noises that you make, knowing that they're all detrimental. Could be detrimental, right. rather. We can we can all agree on that. Um, so so I'm interested, Chase. Unless unless you got more questions, I, I kind of want to talk about his uh, his tape. No, let's talk about the tape. All right, cool, good deal. So question number one. I noticed that it's more thick than uh, moleskin or other, you know, like athletic tape. Does it hold on to water? It doesn't. No, it's it's foam-based. Okay. It doesn't soak up water. Um, we have two thicknesses. One is a wrap, which is pretty thin. It's comparable, I'd say, to moleskin. Um, okay. And you can wrap pretty much anything with that. You know, your sticks. Some I put some on my bow 
different parts of my bow. I've had people put it on uh, buckles and even like their release. Um, so that's, but that will wrap around anything. It's the thin version. And then we have the thick version that is, yeah, it's quite a bit thicker. It's an eighth of an inch, uh, which is more for flat surfaces. Um, a good application of that would be like underneath your tree stand seat. When you fold it up, it's always, you know, metal on metal type situation. Sure. So you can put pieces on there strategically so it's, it's not metal on metal and that's not making noise. So uh, between the two, you can usually soundproof anything you want to uh, and just figure out which one would work better for that, I guess, scenario. Is this is this a uh, a material that is moldable? Like, um, for instance, if I have an angle or a sharp angle on something, can I put it on one side and I- I expect it to really hold on that other side as well? Because that's some of the issues I have with some of the moleskin comp- uh, alternatives is through just sheer you know exposure to wind, ran- wind, rain, sun, and shine, and everything. It just it seems like the most difficult parts to silence. They just don't accept. Uh, a weak adhesive. Yeah, I mean it's a strong adhesive. Um, you've got to you're gonna want to clean the surface uh, off really good. Make sure it's dry. Make sure it's well. You shouldn't have a problem in Florida, but make sure it's not like really cold out when you apply it. But um, once it's on there, it's a permanent adhesive. We usually do not have a problem with it coming off. Um, okay. If you want to get it off, that's usually the problem. But uh, it usually <laughs> it usually sticks where it's where it's put pretty good. And is this something that you recommend, uh, you know, like taping your whole stand? Because I know you've got like a a stand and sticks combo that you sell, and and you're hitting all the key points. Um, you know, if if we're trying to mitigate noise, are we playing the odds game and trying to isolate places where, um, you know, contact is most likely, or do you? Or do all your tree stands just just say sound barrier? Um, <laughs> I, you know, guys can do what they want. I would not personally. I haven't done this. Wrap my entire tree stand in it. Um, I would use, like I said, some stuff under the seat so that you can't have metal on metal contact. Uh, if there's a spot like maybe around the rim of the seat that you feel, oh, the bow could hit this, put some there, right? Um, it, on the tree stand, I just hit spots, and that's what that combo is designed to do: was be to hit those contact points on the stand, and then it gives you the the thinner wrap for wrapping the whole stick. Uh, sticks for me gotcha. have more opportunity with buckles and things to get metal on metal, and you're you're typically using your sticks um, more often, I guess, and there's there's more opportunity there, so you can completely wrap one of those um, pretty much the whole sur- all services on that with uh, the thinner version is called buck bumper. Gotcha. Okay. So a little bit. So you got a buck bumper and a buck, buck bumper thick. Correct. <laughs> are the, are your two, two products? <laughs> kind of hard, kinda hard to say. It. Buck bumper is mainly for your sticks and stuff. In your, yeah, and your that's, buckles. That's, that's the thinner, it's a thinner wrap. And your camera arms. Gotcha. Maybe. Okay. And then the thick stuff, maybe for the stands. Contact points, right. shooting rails, stuff like that. Uh, if you have a blind or like a shooting rail on a, uh, okay. uh, you know, permanent stand, something like that. Um, one of those ladder stands, they could work good there. One of the, one of the things that hunters are really good at is being really stingy in weird ways with their money. 
Um, I've, I've done that. I've been there. And whenever I try and spend money, I try and buy an advantage. I try and buy. If I'm going to spend money, it needs to do something exceptionally well. Um, and so if we're buying a sound concealment uh, product, can you touch on, I mean, everybody, we're going to obviously include a link in the bio for everybody to go to your website and read everything you've got. But can you kind of talk to everybody about what your product uh, has accomplished in testing? Yeah, so testing and, you know, they can, we have this on our homepage. Um, just, we, we kind of took, you know, our main competitor is the Moleskin. So we, we kind of compared it against that. We did a bunch of testing with playing stuff against it. And honestly, because we wanted to know how it measured up. And it, through the testing, it, it, it outcompeted, it outperformed uh, moleskin type products. And it just boils down to what it's made out of, really. Um, it's, it's that closed cell foam type product that has a, it has different layering on it as well, but it's designed to absorb impacts. It's designed to absorb, you know, sound. So it outperformed in that case. Um, the, the thick, obviously, a little better than Buck Bumper, but both outperformed moleskin type products. And so, you know, I've been using it for probably five years now. We've uh, had it for sale. I've been using it actually before then. Um, and I started with, honestly, I started with like hockey tape type stuff. I don't know guys use yep. that. Um, and it, it works okay, right? Um, the moleskin stuff works okay, but I wanted something a little better, you know? And so this definitely does outperform that stuff. And so we're pretty happy with it. Um, it lasts pretty long. You know, I've had it on my sticks for probably these sticks for probably four years now. And oh, wow. Yeah. It, it depends obviously on how much you use them and how much abuse you give it, but it, it holds up pretty good. Uh, it sticks, stays put pretty good. And so um, it, it definitely gives, again, a little advantage that can be a big, big deal, you know. That's interesting. I I, I'm, I, I think that this is going to be one of those things that as people progress through the podcast, I think they're going to, there's a chance we're going to have some people like, oh, sounds not that big a deal. And by the time it's all said and done, I wonder how many of those people, and, I, and you guys write me and let me know if you're one of these people and brave enough to admit it, uh, is looking at their gear now and wondering <laughs> what areas can I silence? Because I have a feeling all of my carabiners and everything are going to be like wrapped to the, to the T to just to eliminate noise. Cause I bet you I've ruined more hunts than I realize. Yeah. And that's the thing that's hard to know that, you know, if I go out and sit and I don't see anything or the deer that I do see are acting weird, is that because of me, right? Did I do something? Is, is it that right. noise I made or not? And I just know since I've been taking precautions in general with, you know, being super concerned about noises I make, I, I have had way more success than I did before. And so for me, that's a lot of proof that, hey, you know, one little noise does make a difference. Um, it can make the difference between having an encounter and not. And this is just part of that puzzle to give you as much advantage as possible. Well, and I think uh, if people are going to spend as much money and time as they do trying to control something like wind or uh, scent, rather, uh, 
Um, I, I think this is a very, oh, how do I say this? A more surefire way of, of, of tilting the odds in your favor. You know, the, the science is, is not necessarily conclusive when it comes to scent control. I'm sure I just upset half my listeners. But, you know, reducing noise now that we know the capabilities of a deer, this seems like a very worthwhile uh, investment of your time and resources. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's it's something you can't ignore. Chase, you got anything else, or can I can I hit him with my parting question? Uh, no, I learned a lot on this episode, and I'm glad you came on and it opened my eyes and ears to realize that <laughs> hey, I need to pay more attention out in the woods, and every little thing that I do extra is gonna make me have chances to be more successful in the woods. Absolutely. Adam, do you have any parting thoughts? Anything uh, uh, anything that you wish we had covered that we didn't? No, I think we covered quite a bit. And, again, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking time to have me on. Uh, I just yeah. say one thing to guys that are just, you know, getting into hunting or uh, not sure about, you know, the sound thing is just, I guess the challenge would be to just decide that you're, not going to make noise anymore you know don't a lot of guys kind of mm-hmm. acquiesce to oh, i'm going to make some noise making that decision is the start to i believe becoming a much better hunter um even though it'll take time there's steps involved but just making that decision to make that uh matter is a, is a big step so i guess that's my my uh, parting thought there okay good deal so I have a parting question okay. for you, sir. If you could go back to your earliest hunting self. Now, we're going to ignore... We have to ignore for the purpose of this the sound component of this because that's just too easy right. of a question, answer to the question. But if you could go back to your earliest deer hunting self and impart one piece of wisdom that would change the way that you pursued whitetails for the future, what piece of wisdom would you go back and give yourself? Mm. I would probably tell myself to start hunting public land really and here's why so growing up so i've been hunting 28 years the first 18 i hunted primarily private the last 10 has been primarily public and my iq hunting iq has skyrocketed since i've started hunting public land and i think it's i know it's because it's so much more difficult, especially in Michigan, that you have to get better. You just have to. And so I wish I would have done it earlier, honestly. Um, so I guess that's what I would tell the younger me. That's awesome. Chase, I, I, I'm fairly certain we've never had that response. No, no, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and not from a guy like uh, Michigan, right? <laughs> yeah, where it's proclaimed to be some of the hardest hunting in, in the country. I mean, like, right. golly. Yeah. Hey, that was a good yeah, one, though. That's bold, it's, it's good to hear yeah. different answers anyways. Well, good deal, man. Well, tell everybody where they can go to find everything Sound Yep, Barrier. just uh, check us out at soundbarrierhunting.com, and you can – your products there on our shop page. You can also check out our blog, which is pretty much on all things whitetail, and sign up for that there if you want to uh, get that every couple weeks. Heck yeah, man. Well, we appreciate you taking time, and hopefully uh, the, after this deer season or during the deer season, once we've silenced everything and 
uh, Pope and Youngs are popping out out of every bush down here in Florida. We can have you back on. We can That's break. Right. All right. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate you, bud.